Pallavi Abbott, how are you? Good, Joe. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to Brokers and Brews. Thank where you for having me. We are bringing our brews to the table. So, Pallavi, I got to ask first, what'd you bring? Well, this quarantine has really changed a lot of things. And one of that is... Oh, my God. Up. I thought for sure it was going to be a wine. <laughs> We're out of wine. Ah. So. <laughs> Costco's not, so you might have to make an essential run. You bet we are. <laughs> well, I brought a Sam Adams cherry wheat. So, uh, All right. cheers, cheers to you. And um, tell us, you know, before we get started, who's Pallavi? How'd you get into the mortgage world? And uh, how's it going so far? Okay. Um, so, I, I'm a mom of two little boys. And um, I'm a former journalist. Back in India, I was a journalist for the publication. And then um, recently, I, I started I started to uh, write for a digital magazine as well. So my full-time job is I am a mortgage loan originator uh, with uh, Dynamical Mortgages. We're a company uh, based in Troy. And, um, but uh, as, as a creative out, I continue writing for um, a digital magazine as a freelance writer. So. Uh, yeah. And Are you allowed my... to say what magazine? Was that? Are you allowed to say what magazine? Yeah, it's called the Indian Scene. Okay. And we basically uh, a lot of profiles for people uh, who are, you know, who've been in this country for a while and they've established themselves as absolutely distinguished professionals. And just, you know, to put things in perspective uh, when they started out their journeys and uh, for other people who are starting out their own, you know, uh, the hardships and I, I love I love being um, you know a part of knowing someone else's journey. You know, yeah. I love to learn from that, and I love to impart and add to other people's journeys. So when I'm uh, when I'm doing mortgages, I am literally you know I'm trying to be a part of their journey in a positive way. And uh, so far, it's been really really fun. I mean, I'm blessed, and I've come across some great people, and you know they're all. I mean, you're just trying to make a difference in their lives, you know, or whether they're saving money or they're learning about uh, how they can be financially more sound. You know, it's it's very rewarding. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I didn't know about that part, so uh, it's good to hear. And so you're with uh, direct direct mortgage or direct home mortgage? Direct home mortgages. Okay, and I know because we've talked that you you know didn't start off in your profession saying, I want to be a mortgage person, but something happened. And without being specific, as far as that exact company, what got you into this business and how much do you like it? Or maybe even dislike it at times now that you're here. I, I love every aspect of it. I won't lie. I mean, some days are frustrating, like all of us professionals, but uh, for most part and every day, it's, it's, it's a beautiful experience. Um, Yes, the story behind how I got into it, uh, without taking names, um, um, we bought a house four years ago, and we were building, and the builder's lender, which is typically a go-to when you're building with uh, uh, any 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 builder, um, they kind of, uh, you know, it was not a fun transaction, let's just say. <laughs> and sure. I, at the time, I had no idea, uh, but uh, I, I knew that if ever I was going to get into this, industry, my entire objective is going to be educate as you go along 
you know, and that's just, uh, it's a very organic way of building relationships because, you know, you're generally uh, uh, passing knowledge to people and I think knowledge is power. So, so that's yeah. how it all started. Yeah. Somebody recently asked me like, what would I want to be known for? Like if there was like a legacy or, you know, something like that. And I said, you know, for me, it's knowledge. You know, I, I want to know that everybody knows that I'm, you know, well-versed and pay attention and, um, you know, that my specialty obviously is real estate, but that I am in tune with what's going on in other worlds, whether it be stock market and mortgage or even just, you know, research on COVID-19 and SARS and stuff like that, right? Like, I don't want to just kind of sit back and, and read Facebook posts or Twitter feeds. I want to actually get ingrained and listen to some podcasts and read a couple of papers. And, you know, I'm not a doctor or not going to ever be one, so I'm not going to get too into it, but I want to know something, you know? Right. So, um, so you're right. Knowledge is like so crucial. And it so is so empowering. It really is. And 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 the, and and the times we are in right now, it's like you cannot get a, a, a bigger, faster lesson with how things are changing, how rapidly they're changing. You know. Right. So yeah, so it's it's been quite interesting. Um, I know that uh, real estate market. I mean that you know it's changed completely, and um, uh, we, like we were talking earlier about virtual tours and mm -hmm. everything becoming virtual. So how's it, how's it at, at your end? You know, it's, it's still um, in our market, you know, here in, in Metro Detroit, you know, there's still an average price point somewhere around 200 to 230,000, give or take, depending on what city you're in. And those price points are still pretty much on fire. Um, wow. I, I wrote an offer for somebody last week and they were one of four offers. They did not get accepted. Um, you know, I've seen some other homes in that below $300,000 price point come on the market and come right off. And so, you know, the, the market is slower and I want to be clear that it is not what it should be for April going into May. Um, but it is not dead. We have not stopped working altogether. And like you said, you know, virtual, I mean, we're meeting clients the way that you and I are talking tonight. We're <laughs> seeing homes the way, you know, it's like I would, you know, see the whole room that you're in, you would show it to me, you know, stuff like that. And then um, we're recording things or having sellers record things and we can put those to YouTube and put them right in the MLS. Um, and that's clearly not the way that we want to do business for the rest of our lives, but it's getting us by for now. Um, do you guys, can you do mortgages outside of Michigan? Uh, yes, we're licensed for Texas, and uh, we're in process of getting licensed in other states as well. So, have you worked with anybody in, in Texas so far? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, like, I mean, that's, we're talking about, you know, without getting political about it, two totally different mindsets when it comes to where we're at in in this pandemic and what we can do business-wise and things like that. I mean, you have a whole one, one, one governor who has said, we need to reopen the state. And you have another governor here in Michigan that says, I'm not sure what we're going to do, but we're going to discuss it and make that plan over the next week and, and you know, tell you on the 30th of April. So like, what do you see difference-wise working with people in the two different states, maybe before and now, you know, when it comes um, to business? 
And that's a great question, Joe. But I think um, people are the same across across states, you know, um, especially in our industry, right? Um, mortgages, uh, like everything going virtual, uh, thankfully, everything is getting automated, stuff like mortgages, uh, especially in the wholesale sector. That's something that we are able to, we transitioned long ago into doing this, uh, you know, remotely. Mm -hmm. So I think everything, uh, in terms of the operations part of it, uh, I don't think we've been, um, uh, it's not a constraint for us to be working from home with the stay-at-home orders. Uh, but I think the biggest limitation for our industry, which we're seeing is of course that the, that the clients themselves, their employment is the biggest limitation. People were getting furloughed, uh, they lose, you know, them losing their jobs, which is one of the biggest, biggest requirement for any mortgage transaction to actually um, you know, go through. And uh, our wholesale, our wholesale uh, section of, you know, lenders, they've been absolutely phenomenal. They, um, you know, when people started to lose jobs they, and, and everybody was working from home, it has been a, a very smooth transition, even um, when, you know, our underwriters and all the other team at the lender side is working from home. And uh, almost resetting themselves to uh, a non-office environment, right? And um, so that has been great. Is like they were trying; they, they've done everything in terms of overlays to add to have added security that uh, the loan is not, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't die. And uh, so, if there wasn't an HR to actually uh, verify somebody's employment, you know, they they found out alternative ways of doing it, but. Uh, uh, to your question of how different it has been in, in, in dealing with people from the two states, there's absolutely been no difference. You know, I think people politicize things a lot more than it needs to be. And at the end of the day, I think all of us were trying to just uh, have a family and, you know, make a living and just um, enjoy life in general. So I think um, uh, for us, our biggest challenge has been the fact that people uh, have lost their jobs. And so So, like, what, um, like, what's what's a wrong decision right now? So, um, um, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners they've heard this uh, term so many times: forbearance. It's, sure. it's the biggest topic of discussion at this point in time for people who have mortgages, and um, and 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 we we request everybody to understand that, you know, forbearance is not forgiveness. I mean, we cannot say that enough number of times because uh, there can be loss in translation so quickly where a temporary relief can be mistaken for, oh, you know, I, I get to skip four payments. Right. But what you don't see is what happens at the end of those four months, you know, uh, what happens at the end of that forbearance period. And that's where the real struggle begins. And um, so while there is a temporary relief, uh, the, the way forward after that is, is not as easy as people might think. So which is why, uh, uh, you know, 
uh, and you're aware of this, we started this uh, group on Facebook called Real Estate Mortgage Forum, where we're trying to invite as many as people who, you know, just to keep them updated as to what's happening, what are their options. If really you must uh, um, resort to forbearance options, uh, who can you get in touch with? You know, who, who, who decides the agreement terms? So yeah. Out there for people to um, have access to, which makes uh, things somewhat easier, um, you know, uh, of all the uh, chaos that's going on. And so um, that's that's the biggest biggest. <clears throat> and so that group, the Facebook group, is is public, right? I mean, you have yes. to join it, but it's for anybody. So the name of the Facebook group again. So in case someone's listening and actually wants to join, because this isn't Michigan only. I mean, you know, obviously we're my market's Michigan, your market's Michigan, but anybody could find us, anybody could listen, yes. and anybody could join, especially on Facebook. So yeah. they find Facebook, they type in and search what? Real Estate Mortgage Forum. And that's open to everybody. Um, we talk about real estate, we talk about um, um, mortgages, of course. And um, most importantly, you know, I mean, we are Michigan based, like you said, but we're also nationally this is this is a global global disaster at this point mm -hmm. right and so everything that we're talking about is very much relevant to all states uh yes when you call your servicer and you want to find out about your relief options uh the terms might be a little bit different uh the duration of that uh assistance might be a little bit different but, but that is of course not just um you know, within Michigan, but it's cross services across states. So, uh, so our our main goal has been to educate our clients and even people in general. You know, and just yeah. don't uh, unless you really have to. You know, for example, you've uh, you know both people in the household they lost their jobs or they got COVID. They have COVID nineteen, and you know they. It's just there is no way forward. You know, uh, there are other ways. So, so what's a recommendation for somebody who they can get by, but man, they're really worried. I mean, like it's tough. I've got X dollars coming in and I've got that same X dollars going out and maybe in a month or two, that number doesn't work out anymore. No more 3000 in and 3000 out is suddenly 2000 in and 3000 out. Cause maybe an unemployment number changes. Right. What do we do? Who do we call first? Whether it's our mortgage company or car company, what you know? What's your thoughts or recommendation? What do you hear? So um, I I can talk from the mortgage point of view. You know, I don't want to um, get ahead of myself and talk about uh, other other things like sure. payments and stuff. But definitely, um, that's the great perspective which we're trying to put out as well. And we're calling our uh, current uh, clients and anybody we're talking to. If you have income. You know, you, you've taken a pay cut, but you still have a steady income to show. Before you apply for a forbearance, uh, there are so many ways of doing this. For example, you can just refinance, right? If you've been on a 15-year and um, you, you had a great rate for a 15-year loan term, right? Uh, but at this point, you're getting a pay cut. You don't want to spend that much money. You can refinance to a 30-year right now, right? And that's going to get your payments down. You're gonna save something every month, right? So every penny counts in this in this time. Uh, so it's okay, and that's the advantage of refinancing, right? You can actually use it to your benefit when you need it, you know. And um, 
or there are a lot of people who can do a cash out refinance. They mm -hmm. probably have equity built into their homes, right? Um, a cash out refinance lets you actually take advantage of that equity where you can now take that money out and pay off your debts or, you know, pay your mortgage payments that you, you may think you may not be able to make it for the next couple of months. So there are ways to actually get around this um, um, uh, situation. As long as you can show steady income, even if it's with a pay cut, it doesn't matter. You know, there are ways that are alternatives. And uh, when you talk to the professionals, um, they will really, really uh, help you out if you ask some, you know, questions. Yeah. Put it all out. Are you finding right now that credit specialists, some of the people that um, are really good credit repair people, and I'm not saying someone that you find online or on TV might not be, but you know, some someone that maybe you you work with or your company works with that you know, when somebody has bruised credit and they need a little bit more assistance than what is your specialty, are you finding that those folks really know what to do right now? Or you know, it's my belief that like what I did last Friday is not going to be the same as what I do this Friday. And so I'm sure that makes it difficult, but are they, are they knowing and kind of like um, in tune with what to do this Friday? If, if, that, if I go to them, um, you know, credit is something, it basically just is, um, it is an indicator of how responsible you are with your money. Right. I mean, obviously if, if you have high debts and you don't know what to do with it, uh, your credit is going to reflect that. So in terms of credit repairing, the only thing that we can recommend is, you know, uh, whatever, as much as you can reduce your debt, as much as you can pay off your debt. And that's, again, it, it brings me back to, um, you know, um, and I'm not sure if you meant it in context of homeowners, but uh, um, speaking in context of homeowners uh, is, do you know if you can do a cash out refinance do it and get rid of as much debt as you can that is the number one thing that you can do for yourself at this point in time um other than that it's just you just you know be as responsible as you can don't take don't uh, bite off more than you can chew yeah. even you know especially in this market because uh it is very volatile yeah no it's it's you know um i was not in the industry when the market crashed, but I was actually in your seat when um, when the market was good before the last crash. I was on the mortgage side, and um, there was such a difference between what led up to then and what's led up to now, as far as the crazy loan programs, the <laughs> lack of equity. You know, the only way someone did a cash out refi is if they had the home for a year or two. Um, but then they could go to 100%, which we can't do now. Wow, um, but, you know, the, the crazy stuff like that. But then there was other things that, you know, maybe it's hindsight, maybe the powerful knew and they didn't tell us. But one way or the other, there were so many other factors that just don't add up to what we've witnessed right now. You know, with this is a health concern and problem. And... Um, I think I state this every time and I'm going to continue to, we're not insensitive to those issues. We realize that those are out there and those are big deals. We're in the real estate world. So this is what we can control. And so when we talk about opportunity, we don't mean, you know, like thank goodness for an opportunity because thank goodness somebody's unemployed or somebody passed away or whatever, but there are opportunities out there that are being put forth. And 
that didn't happen in 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10. The government didn't come in and help us um, with money and loan programs. In fact, it, it may have been around 2009, the first HARP program, and I don't even remember what HARP stands for at this point, but I know the A was assistance. Um, and then, then they had another one, but you know, we were, we were in trouble already. Um, that happened because you were upside down and hurting financially. Whereas now they're like, they realize like today's unemployment number being another few million people, they know that these things are going to happen. So they're trying to get the money out if they can to as many right. people as possible to help. And so it's just a different scenario, but what are some good, you know, opportunities is there, is there, are good loan programs available now? Have those gotten better or worse based on the government kicking in? Cause when the government kicks in, it really is to benefit, but we think of benefit by meaning low rates, but really we mean benefit by you actually can qualify and you can actually lend us money. Right. And um, so the government kicking in here is basically, uh, it's their, uh, you know, effort to keep this economy afloat. Like this is, we're, we're talking survival at this point, right? We're not, this is not about um, uh, where we're trying to profit and we're trying to really grow. We're just trying to survive this, this really uh, unprecedented uh, situation. Uh, which like you said, in 2008, that was a bubble because loans were being given to people who had no income, you know. Yeah. That's why uh, starting 2010, so many regulations came in, you know. That's why everything, they tightened up all the processes to make sure it was a foolproof plan where uh, they weren't just being given out to anybody that walked the, you know, the road. Like the next person you saw, you're not selling them a loan. And, um, I think that's why all these caps of 80%, uh, you know, and a cash out or, um, you know, the brackets to sort of uh, uh, divide the interest rates and uh, how the credit scores affecting all of these factors is the reason why everything has been up, you know, from where it was before. Um, but at this point in time, the government stepping in is definitely helping. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the loan programs that were there a few months ago, they... The conventional is still there. Uh, anything that is government-backed obviously is taking a hit too because, um, uh, the, again, the government is trying to do whatever it can to keep all, um, uh, you know, as much as they can and, and keep it afloat. Yeah. So, like, there are a lot of loan programs that have stopped currently, uh, and there are some loan programs that have become, uh, I mean, they, it, there was a point last two weeks, if you were to be a talk, uh, the interest rates had, they were going nuts. They were adjusting multiple times a day. So if you were talking to a client, um, you know, at 11 a.m., I wasn't sure if that was even available at 11.30, you know? Yeah. So um, that's how much the volatility has taken over the market. But things are starting to normalize a little bit. Uh, we're back where conventional loans are still the most popular. That is still something that you know people can really benefit out of. Uh, but there are lots of more programs like uh, jumbo loans, which have sort of taken a backseat right now, just because it's too much risk for the investors. And, and what's um, a jumbo loan? What's that? What's a jumbo loan? A jumbo loan is anything above five hundred and ten thousand okay. dollars. So that's typically considered a jumbo. Um, um, there are lenders out there 
uh, in the wholesale where they have, uh, uh, you know, broken the jumbo into uh, certain categories, which might be too complicated for this conversation. Sure, but sure. yeah, conventional loans are anything that is 510,000 and less. Yeah. And so, you know, I think really what you're saying is if I was in a uh, fortunate enough scenario that I needed a $510,000 mortgage, it's probably out there, but I can't just go anywhere and talk to anybody the way that maybe I could before um, because it's harder to come by. Like you said, people maybe are doing some uh, fancy reconfiguring of, of loans and packages and stuff to make it work. So right. I'm not completely out of luck, but it's certainly not going to be the walk in the park that maybe it was just three, six weeks ago. Right. So uh, three to six weeks ago, there weren't additional overlays. And when I say overlay, that is basically uh, the additional, uh, you know, uh, uh, covering the risk factor. So that is a lender to lender basis overlays. You know, some, some lenders are, um, they're more lenient to say, and then some lenders want to be more, more particular about, uh, you know, safeguarding their own interests so that they don't get penalized in any shape or form. So those are all overlays. And um, I think that that's the biggest difference that we've seen as well in the past three to six weeks where a lot of lenders, they have added overlays. You know, they want to make sure that every loan they do, every loan they undertake, um, it is, it is uh, uh, protected. You know, and they're protecting themselves and the client. So, so like I said, um, uh, verification of employment, for example, it used to be once in the process, and you know, you move past it. So, um, um, a month a month ago, it started when they were doing it at the beginning of the process and before closing, because even within that two to three week time frame, you know, uh, which is typical of any transaction, they weren't sure if this person was going to have a job. So they, they wanted, before they closed, they wanted a proof of uh, employment with either the most recent pay stubs or being able to talk to somebody who would say, yes, they're still employed. So it's very unfortunate, obviously, you know, uh, what's happening, but uh, at, the, at, the, at the same time, it's better to be safe than to be sorry, because there are a lot of penalties where if there is, there's something called the first payment default, you know, that's a big, big penalty for any broker or a lender if uh, a loan has been closed and that first payment has not been made. Right. So, um, and, and those are things you don't know if you're not an industry insider, you know, sure. well, and, and we had that uh, uh, conversation with somebody who, who, who had decided on their own that they weren't going to make their first payment. So when we were calling, you know, our, our, our uh, clients just to say, hey, you know, everything good? Do you want to know anything? Any, any way we can help? And it just happened to be that conversation where they said, oh, yeah, we're not making our first payment. <laughs> and I'm like, um, yeah, no, not really. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about it. So, um, so yeah. So, and that's the biggest challenge too, Joe. You know, people, um, they make up uh, decisions not not being thorough with their diligence. Sure. You know? and, and I think that's the key at this point in time. So we want to take this time and just tell them, like, ask questions you know it's okay like call call your LO, call your uh, mortgage professional you trust call call anybody call us you know uh, and we'll be happy even if we've never worked even if we may never work together but you know what at this point in time it's about safeguarding interest for everybody yeah well you know it's funny that you say that when you say like people make some of these decisions because I think, I think a lot of times somebody might they just got into their new home 
they know that they're going to stay there and they're not going to foreclose. So they might think, well, I'll skip my first and then I'll make, you know, a partial and I'll catch it all up. But, you know, they're thinking it doesn't matter because I'm not going anywhere for a while. And that's a short-sighted, you know, view. And, and I get it, you know, but I would highly encourage to never be so short-sighted because I always think back to my own childhood where my parents bought their first home in Detroit. They bought it on land contract because they knew they weren't ever going to get to the balloon payment. Well, then the balloon payment came, so they got a mortgage. But that was okay because they knew they were going to move. <laughs> and I moved out of that house before they did. And so because of life things, life things happen with injuries and sicknesses and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And those things eventually led to other, you know, things, financial, you know, burdens and such. And so not only did I move out before them, I moved out years before them from what was going to be their first home. And when I help somebody find a house, I, I always, you know, say, is this a house that you really could see yourself in for a long time? Because mm -hmm. I know that you think that this is a, a first home, a step up, a step down, whatever. But what if it is your only home? You know, how many, you always have to make a concession, right? Even if you were building a new home, unless you're a multi, multi-millionaire with uncapped income, you know, <laughs> you're always going to have a concession. And so yeah. when you make that concession, is that something that you're doing because you really didn't need it in the first place or because you don't care now because you think you're going to get it later? If that's the case, maybe we keep looking, you know, I mean, these are always unique scenarios, but, and, and so I would certainly say on the mortgage side, these things sometimes stick with you for years. Again, I know they change. We've talked about that, but I can recall again, when I was doing the mortgages back in 06, a mortgage late was worse than a bankruptcy at the time. And it's probably like that now. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so that was a big, big deal. And again, if you truly are in that scenario and you've already called and talked to, you know, professionals and they've advised, okay, this is the best thing for you to do. That's right. one thing. But before making such a decision and maybe you don't really understand what the ramifications might be, Yes. reach out, you know, because that's what we're here for, right? Absolutely. That's so well said. And and that was going to be my next point, too, where, um, you know, we, we talked about the repairing credit, right? Um, the worst thing somebody can do to hurt their credit, I mean, there are so many things, but one of the worst things you can do is if you, if you can make a payment, but you decide not to and you, you're late on your mortgage payment, that can really, really hurt your credit. And um, that's something also we shared in the group. Uh, it can take it, a, a late mortgage payment for anything above 30 days is it can hit your credit score uh, between 60 to uh, 110 points. So yeah. that's a lot, you know. That's and, huge. I, yeah. Again, so, this isn't about me, but I'll tell you that when we bought this house that we're in, we were three credit points away from a better mortgage product and at that time because rates weren't so low they were decent but they were you know somewhere near five at that time that was a quarter of a percent so we were three credit points away so I can't imagine a 60 or 110 I mean you're talking if you had an 820 going down to a 710 you're in a total I mean that's a good credit but you're in a totally different bracket all of a sudden 
Now we're you know. talking you, you're in a good bracket of 700 going to 600. Right. And then you're almost near, uh, you know, absolutely unmortgageable. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, well, right. Yeah. So, um, I want to, I want to continue on that, but I, if you've made me think, and I've been holding off this question a few times, you moved here from India. So I'm assuming that you have family in India. Yes. How are, how is this affecting family there? And, and I mean, it's a huge country, so I'm only speaking to your area, but you know, how, how's this, how's that going? Um, yeah. So I, I moved here actually in 2011 and both, um, uh, my and my husband's families, um, they're back in India. They're also under lockdown, which is much stricter than what's here. So if people are protesting here, they would not survive a day <laughs> back in India, I can tell you that. Um, because it's, it is a Herculean task to uh, have a billion people stay put. Sure. It, I mean, I, it's unfathomable to me at this point, but uh, it's definitely tough. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to think that, um, uh, knowing that you cannot travel if needed, you know, you cannot go and be with your own family and you're, you're, you're so far away. Uh, but you know what, everybody understands and it's just common sense. When you know this is what's gonna save people, this is what's gonna save lives, uh, you just don't think twice. And you know, that's, that's and, and, and in fact, there are, um, uh, my, my uh, brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, they're both doctors. So they're mm -hmm. on the front lines and, and we hear, stories which are very hard to you know uh, imagine yourself even to to imagine yourself in their shoes it's it's tough for sure. sure but they're managing it because you know everybody wants to be responsible and um because if the spread starts to um, take over back in india it's going to be very hard just because the, there's a big strata of society which is very poor and uh, they live in uh, slums where uh, there is no you know, there is no sanitization. Sure. And um, it is, it's, uh, there, there are parts which are very similar to, I was hearing an interview um, by Melinda Gates, where she was talking about, uh, you know, how the African numbers are ridiculous because there are no numbers because they have no health system. Who's, who's keeping that, you know? Right. Uh, we talk about washing our hands for 20 seconds every every uh, uh, now and then. There is no clean water to wash hands with, you know. Sure. So those are real world problems, and I think that's what people need to understand that uh, you have a home, you have food, you're you're being with your family, and I think we all can be grateful for that. And and, and you know, because things could be much worse. Um, yeah. Something that you know a lot of, a lot of people would realize. Yeah, no, in a separate, you know, listening, um, I don't know if it was a podcast or a TV interview, but there was a doctor who said along the same lines, he said, you know, at some point, it almost becomes a case of the haves and the have nots because, you know, the countries Absolutely. with the money to buy supplies are going to be able to protect their citizens and the countries without the money to buy supplies are not. And then, like you said, they said the same thing. He goes, we're not going to know those numbers because there's not hospitals with information. Yeah. There's nobody collecting the data. There's right. just, you know, potentially collecting bodies. And yeah. um, so it's, you know, definitely, um, definitely a whole different perspective 
um, yeah. things, so to speak. So it's hard. I mean, I respect, you know, when I see uh, people protesting, I mean, and I respect all sides, you know, everybody's hurting different in a different way and they express their hurt um, in different ways. And, you know, we all can be respectful and agree to disagree. But it does make me think, like, you know, if, if they knew what was happening in other parts of the world where, um, where probably people haven't traveled that much, or they're not hearing that much about it, uh, but we get to hear it firsthand, you know, what's yeah. going on. Uh, it's definitely real, and this is real. This is as real as it gets, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, so sorry for the little sidebar, but I kept I kept thinking about it and thinking about it, and I was like, I don't want to forget to ask this question. Absolutely. I was really curious. Um, but we were kind of talking about like the credit and, and forbearance and these programs and stuff. And one of the things that made me say, I got to ask if Palavia will do this, you know, show was all the posts that you're putting in the Facebook mm-hmm. group. And one of them about, um, like another, uh, potential stimulus package and things like that. And I know sometimes you're not, you're not just sharing information. You're seeing it on a reputable site, like CNBC or somebody like that. And, and putting it out there for us to see. Mm-hmm. What do you know? I mean, like, what, you know, what's the inside, what's the inside scoop on uh, what's coming or, <laughs> you know, what's happening? Um, so here's, here's what it was. We started, when we started that group, like I said, we were, we were trying to help out everybody, you know, even if it was something that we, uh, you know, weren't doing or that was a loan program that we are not uh, into. But hey, you know what? We as industry insiders do have access to that kind of information that uh, the general public does not, you know. So uh, everything is not just about homeowners and only that mortgage that we do. But as, as and when we were hearing, especially about the Small Business Administration and how a lot of people, they're small business owners, right? And um, uh, it is a difficult situation for them because it's not... If people haven't lost job because the economy went down. People have just lost job and the economy is going down all at the same time because everything has come to a standstill, right? So, um, and, and especially, and we did hear from a lot of uh, small business owners that um, it hurt them that their employees are like family to them. So right. not being able to help them or pay their salaries or, um, you know, continue their healthcare benefits. These are big deals, you know, these are like a lot, we, we, we don't think that much about it until you are a business owner. It hurts to see your own family hurt. So I think it was important to share. And what we understand is, you know, obviously the Small Business Administration is doing a lot of programs to uh, help during this time. And PPP, which is the Paycheck Protection Program is one of the biggest. Uh, and it's the biggest because it is allowing small business owners to get loans, to continue paying their employees, you know, uh, their payroll, mm-hmm. uh, continue the utilities or the, the cost to run that business if they were running in real life right. uh, for, for a period of eight weeks. And it's a big deal because um, um, you want people to have the means to make it work while this whatever time frame is going to be, uh, we hope it comes to an end soon, but whatever it takes, right? And um, it, and this particular PPP program is uh, essential because it also may allow uh, forgiveness of that loan. So they're giving the loan to the small business owner, but uh, if they 
know, continue to pay their employees till the end of that eight-week period uh, from when they are funded. And if, uh, you know, um, um, they apply for forgiveness, uh, there are chances that they would be forgiven that loan. Um, yeah, so <laughs> this is really funny because um, I try to think about these things in a non-political way and, and it becomes mm -hmm. difficult sometimes. But with this one, uh, I just saw an article, yeah. again on CNBC, and you may have seen it about the uh, salon owner who called her employees on a Zoom call and said, great news, I got approved for the PPP, I'm going to send you guys all your checks like usual, and they said, no, that's horrible news. I'm going to make less money by you giving me my paycheck than I was going to get with my unemployment and stimulus money. And so she was at a loss because, uh, and this is my interpretation of it. She was at a loss because she thought she was doing a great thing for everybody, including herself. And I'm not obviously discounting the fact that she was doing it for herself, but this is how she pays her bills. And you, you know, and the employee pays theirs from her paying them. And so this was a scenario where the employees felt like they lost out. This could kind of be maybe a two-part question, but the first part being coming back to what you should do. If you're an employee and you choose to not come back to work, and let's just say it, it works out for you in the sense of you're going to find new employment or get back with your old employer, but you can't get a loan, right? I mean, like if I'm laid off, even if I can show that I've got this guaranteed stimulus money, you know it's guaranteed as well as I do, and all this stuff, I can't get a mortgage until I'm back to work. Is that correct? Correct. Absolutely, 100%. Um, if, so this is the thing too, like this is where just integrity in general steps in, right? Um, that, I mean, just like this story, I've heard so many stories where people who are starting to get their unemployment check, they think it's great. Like, I don't want to go back to work because I am getting more money, like you said, you know, than I was when I was working really, really hard. But it's temporary, you know, it's not going to last forever. What are you going to do then? I mean, at the, you know, it, it comes down to being short-sighted again. Um, great, you're getting for the next few weeks, you're going to get um, a paycheck and then what, you know? Yeah. Uh, if you're furloughed, if you're unemployed, you're ineligible for a mortgage. So if you want to move move ahead in life where you know the interest rates are low and, and that's the that's the other big discussion that uh, should you really be renting? You might as well if your mortgage is the same or lesser, why wouldn't you become a homeowner? Right. right. That's a debate again, I think, for another sure. conversation. But um, but yeah, I mean, really, do you really? Again, it's common sense. You really want to give up a job because you are making more money on unemployment, which is temporary. Right. You know, think about that. So. Well, and I don't know what the long, you know, unfortunately, the way that that happened, obviously, was the government wanted to get money out. And so they wrote this bill. I'm sure the bill's hundreds of pages long. Right. And then they put it out and they gave the money out and they're sending checks now or deposits or whatever, which is great. But they didn't kind of foresee this issue. I don't know what the right phrase is, but it is a legit issue because if I was in that scenario, right. I would feel the same way. I'd say, why would I want to come back? I can make $400 more a week right now. That's $1,200 a month. And depending on what I do for a living, I might feel like I could just go do that somewhere else. But 
we can't get a not just a mortgage. I mean, I, I have to imagine there's plenty of loan processes that do verifications that you can't do, um, including landlords. So, you know, if, even if you're a renter, um, you know, I helped, I don't do a lot of leases and I helped a, a guy get into a uh, unit, you know, around Christmas time. And I gotta tell you, it was a nightmare. Um, I had to prove so much stuff to his landlord that I normally wouldn't have to do in a, um, in a mortgage. And I don't just mean me, but me and my client, you know, I had to get all this information. So, you know, those are going to be concerns. So again, don't be short sighted. But secondly is I'm guessing that if they don't take their pay or if they take it and then don't come back, they're really going to be up against it because typically speaking, unemployment doesn't count when you've quit your job. And right if they allow you to, let's just say through June 10th, take this payroll, you know, situation, but on June 11th, you can't, you right. will quit your job. You're not going to get any unemployment. So, you know, any, I hope people are thinking about that. Again, I, I really wish that there were more people reaching out to other professionals and that people trusted professionals, because let's face it, there's one thing that happens in a crisis is, you know, like the smart sleazeball sometimes shows up and takes advantage of people. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure that there's a lot of fear in reaching out to, to unknown folks, but that's what we're here for, you know, right. to put people in contact with. And, and, and also to add to that, Joe, uh, a, a very important point that, you know, um, I was having a discussion with my husband the other day and it was just the, just the staggering number of people who are filing for unemployment there is no system in place that's going to vet each and every application to say, really, are you really unemployed? Are you really affected like you're saying? Because now it's a, it's it's not a regular application. Now we're talking millions, right? Yeah. And at this point, they're just trusting that you probably are because everybody is. So I think uh, um, as hard as it may be for somebody, if they can make $400 more a week, then why would they settle in for their you know lower paycheck? Uh, that is a real situation to somebody and you know but is it the most ethical thing to do probably not but right. you know, desperate times they sometimes uh, sort of blur the right from the wrong sure uh, and and like you said that just go ahead and talk to somebody you know you don't know what the repercussions of that might be once this all normalizes you know yeah. you don't know if uh, you're going to get a call and be like, okay, by the way, yeah. <laughs> you went in unemployment and it shows you were getting paid at that time. You know, you never know when it's going to come back to bite you. So, well, you know, I remember because they did start, let's go back to the, the great recession with all the foreclosures. And at one point they said, well, don't foreclose because the, the company is going to come back and sue you and it's going to be on your record and all this stuff. And then there were so many, that the advice was to just go ahead and do it if that's what you have to do because right. they'll never come back. And then right. in, suddenly in like 2012 through 2014, there was discussion of banks had seven years and now that they're doing well financially, they might start hiring people to go back after these foreclosures. So, you know, we're talking like about stuff as if this is one or two or three weeks, but there could be things that happen over the course of, years depending on decisions that are made and they're putting these programs out there to help like you just said they may or may not be forgiven you know of the debt that they're given 
they don't even know. So I get a check for 60 grand for my business and I don't even know if I have to pay it back or not. So <laughs> the same thing I have to imagine will happen on the other side. You know, the government's giving out trillions of dollars right. and, um, you know, it doesn't really matter who's in office. Nobody just gives out trillions of dollars. There's an expectation that it's for the better. And okay. if it doesn't turn out for the better, then I'm sure there will be ways to make it worse. That's my guess. Just to, you know, my yeah. two cents, you know? <laughs> so, uh, I know that we'll get going here pretty soon. So before we do, I like to ask everyone at the end, like, has anything, what's good kind of come of being around the house more or around your family more or what funny thing has happened or something? Um, the good thing that has come around is the fact that um, I have a realization about homeschooling. <laughs> For sure. I have some, you know, it's a also new, I mean, I've always respected the teachers, but there's obviously a newfound respect for teachers. And it's funny, one of the teachers uh, said to me, um, she said, well, you know what? I, I really miss all my students because my own kids don't listen to me. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> the struggle is real. Yes. Uh, and, you know, but I, you know, my kids, I think uh, we all have been put in the situation where you just have to make it work uh, as much as, you know, it can get frustrating. But I think, um, deep down uh i'm glad that you know people are getting to spend time with family in a in a healthy manner um but at the same time i do hope that this new normal you know is not the new normal because uh, for kids growing up they need that social uh, uh development you know and that's yeah. something that will only happen when they're away from their comfort zone of their mom and dad and i think that is something that I really hope and pray that does not become the new normal because uh, uh, Chromebooks and uh, blended learning and um, that's not going to help our children develop the way we want them to, you know, grow sure. up. To be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, homeschooling all the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely been uh, interesting to say the least when it comes to that. It's gone well, and um, I'll tell you everybody always thinks virtual is the way to go. And um, I think that we also are seeing that's, especially when it comes to this, it's not, I mean, the teachers are spending two, three, four times the amount of time to produce very, I, I don't want to minimize it, produce very little amount of work. Um, you know, the time it takes them to put together these Google slides, you know, I have a second grader for just clocks to, to tell time versus if they had a live clock in their hand, changed the hand around and said, what time is it now? What time is it now? What time is it now? And actually individually ask and answer questions. Right. And, um, and so, you know, I think that these, this virtual stuff is great in many ways. I'm certainly glad that we have cameras and Matterport tours for real estate. And I'm glad that we have had this now versus say in 1990 when there wouldn't have been an internet. And I don't know how we would have gotten information to the kids, but um, I certainly hope that nobody thinks, you know, we don't need a school building anymore or we don't oh need God. a building anymore. <laughs> or we don't need, you know, we, we absolutely do. Anybody who thinks that we do. <laughs> yes, we do. I agree. <laughs> That will be a protest I will be a part of happily that we're, you know, we need the old school, old school teaching back, you know? Yeah. Well, 
people can understand. And but I'm glad that we have, you know, you started this series, uh, Joe. I appreciate it very, very much getting this conversation out there, um, getting different perspectives out there. And I, I hope people can benefit from this and see what you and I and all other professionals who are going to be a part of this, you know, have to offer. Yes, awesome. On that, I have to definitely say cheers again, Pallavi. Great to uh, do this. Thank you, <laughs> and uh, have a great rest of your evening. You too. Thank you so much. All right.